0: Alright guys, Came from Garage11 and we're going to do a little bit of a podcast today about restorations and restorations in general and what they sort of mean to us. We're going to start doing maybe a little bit of a series on various aspects of restoring bikes and what's involved and what we do and how we look at it and what we can find and all the sort of little idiosyncrasies that go into such a big project that we, we do every day. Um, and it'd be cool to sort of touch base on, I think... Where we find parts where we you know try and look for various color information with bolts zinc plating you know trying to replicate stuff with cerakote um trying to restore a bike in general and what goes into it because it's it can be a hugely daunting task and it can be quite daunting depending on the the year you're doing what you know sort of generation um two-stroke four-stroke yes we are going to start looking and we are going to start seeing four strokes in the restoration field. So everyone prepare yourself, um, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I thought it'd be cool to do a bit of a, a podcast and just a bit of a laid back um, look at what we can do and what we do do and how we do it, so to speak. Um, so yeah, my name's Kane, Garage 11. Um, we're going to go through um, what we do and yeah, and, and what we can sort of help and hopefully we can shed some light to some people and maybe spark some discussion and, and, you know, we might not be doing certain things right. You know, you guys might have different ideas and better ideas and opinions and that sort of stuff, which we're always open to and and want to hear from you guys about how you guys are doing builds and what goes on. and. You know, maybe we might be able to eventually bring in some people who we speak to, some other industry sort of guys who are doing similar stuff here and, and overseas. Um, so yeah, sit back, listen, and we'll uh, hopefully be able to bring in some pretty cool content. So I think the first thing we really need to talk about is bikes in general, right? Restoring bikes is not an easy thing. Um, just because it's a dirt bike doesn't mean to say it's going to be an, an easy process. I mean... Restoring anything is never easy. It depends on, you know, a lot of factors as well. Like I said, you know, how far you go down the rabbit hole, if you want to ride it, if you don't want to ride it, what generation, um, all sorts of things. You know, they're, they're a lot simpler than restoring cars. Cars are, are massively complex things and, and take a lot of energy to restore. And I've done it before and it, it's not easy. Um, I used to do it as a job. Um, so, yeah, I mean, let's start with, you know, a good bike, you know, good generations, hard generations of bikes. So when I say generation, I mean, you know, you got your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, early two thousand stuff. Um, that is all sort of hitting that restoration point at the moment. Um, so the 60s is always complicated, right? Because information's light on the ground. And when you're trying to restore something, you're trying to obviously bring it back to as close as you can get it to the day it was made. Um, That's not physically possible. To get it like that, you may think your mate's done it. You may think you've done it. There is once, it'll only ever be new once. So everything we do is a compromise. And we're trying to find the best compromise to replicate what it should have looked like or what it did look like when it was new. We're trying to get as close to that point as we can. So the 60s, right, the 60s. Man, they're, they're a complicated bike to restore and not from a mechanical point of view. They're different, you know, your Makos, CZs, Bullies, all those bikes, are. they all were doing things differently. Um, they were all trying to outdo one another. Um, Come up with new ideas and that's what's sort of cool about what we're going to see in these next two generations or three generations of bikes um, within the manufacturer space Now if you look at those early 60s bikes, like I said the bikes weren't complicated But what is makes them complicated now is how thin on the ground the information actually is workshop manuals historical photos all that sort of stuff is is super, super thin on the ground. Like, we're spoiled today because we can go take a brand new motorcycle and it's got 400 million photos already taken of it. Um, photos are cheap now. If you go back to the 60s where it was A, black and white, um, B, a long time ago, C, the thought of restoring these bikes at that time, like any generation of bike, wasn't really front of mind. So you got to put it into perspective, you know, and take the the you know old and new out of it. If if you go buy a a brand new YZ250 tomorrow, you're not thinking about restoring it, and you're not going to be thinking about restoring it for a long time. Um, so you know thought wasn't really put into that. So when you're restoring those early bikes, you've really got to find specialists. They're not going to come from your big stores. They're not going to come from you know your your mainstream magazines. They're going to come from you know Facebook communities, guys that are as passionate about those bikes as what you might be, um, and guys who have invested time like Chippy um, at Chip um, Mako at Chippy's. He's a Mako guy here in Australia, and, and the stuff that he has reproduced for multiple generations of Makos and the stuff that he has available is absolutely priceless when you're trying to restore one of those bikes and we've got two of them that we're restoring at the moment one from the 60s and one from the 80s and you know some of the stuff from this the one we're doing from the 60s is you know you you, you're really relying on guys memory and information and their references to guide you in that space Um, so you know the 60s can be really really complicated, super rewarding when you get it right and when when you see the end result. Like I said, the bikes aren't hugely complicated. It's finding the parts and the information that is. Um, and that's what we find a lot with those, you know, those earlier, earlier bikes is it's just the information and the references that we, we need to try and find to work from. Um, the 70s, moving sort of on, the 70s is very similar. Um, maybe not as bad because, you know, photos were a little bit more prevalent and you can start, you know, there's a lot more references, you know, like the old Elsinores and stuff like that. Um, You can sort of get fairly accurate information because Honda were really good at producing bikes in large quantities, whereas your companies like CZ, Bullies, Makos, they didn't produce or have that sort of um, manufacturing processes in place uh, to produce and replicate you know, bike after bike after bike and, and have it fairly um, or almost exactly the same. You get a Mako, is you get two different, make, same model Mako, you get two different bikes where the one was built on a Friday or one was built on a Monday, depending on what parts were on the shelf and depending what they had for lunch. That's the difference with some of those older Euro bikes is there's, there's not a lot of parity even when they were new. Um, so yeah, the 70s were very similar, um, maybe a little less, complicated Um, the bike obviously development was starting to to sort of starting to kick off and starting to come into that generation of what we see now Um, you can see the progression in the late 70s uh, through to the early 80s you know like you start seeing that stance that presence that the bikes that we look at now very tall bigger suspension travel early 70s no but the later 70s and into the the early 80s We started to see motocross bikes probably come away from that grass track scrambler type Euro spec bikes that the 60s and early to mid 70s were giving us. Um, So yeah, you do see like those early Makos, early 80s Makos, you know, the Sand Spiders, the Alphas, all those sorts of stuff. You see that big tall bike, you know, and that was really the, 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 the very forefront of motorcycle design as to what we see it. Now, you know, we can really trace the roots back from modern motorcycles and the next couple of generations all the way back to the early 80s. The early 80s are the 80s. I wasn't there. Um, My dad was, and I think he's still there. Yeah, he's definitely still there. Um, Restoring 80s bikes, wow. Even more, probably the most complicated generation of of off-road motorcycle to restore And I always say this to people because, wow, they were just, they were every year, no two years were the same, or very rarely two years were the same thing, right? Whether you talk about Yamis, Hondas, Cowies, Suzuki, all those bikes, they were different year to year because the, the development process and the uphill climb that those manufacturers were going through was just wild, you know, coming up with new ideas and You know uni links and floating full floaters and whatever else you could think of they were coming up with different ideas and and parts and the tooling cost for those bikes back then must have been astronomical i mean jesus you think about you know swing arm sets and what goes into die casting and all that sort of stuff to make you know like the an 84 RM500 with that the suspension system that it's got in it, that's all parts that have been die-cast. Die-cast isn't cheap. To run that for a couple of years, wow. I mean, yeah, absolutely out of control. But the single most complicated um, era of bikes to restore, I don't care what anyone else says, if you're doing it properly, that is a complicated, complicated year because not only are you trying to... F- the information's a lot better, the photos are a lot better, your reference points are a lot better than what we saw in the 60s and the 70s. But if you're looking at... So we're starting to bring more plastics into motorcycling, right? We're getting into liquid cooling, the early stages of, of you know, monoshocks and all that sort of stuff. It's starting to really get into that weird space um, of... The early years of what motorcycling has become, or off-road motorcycling has become now. So you look at a lot of that stuff, and it's just—it's you try and you try and restore it. Like the '86, this KX500 behind me. I mean, we were lucky enough to be able to find plastics, new old stock plastics for that. But there is not one single company on this earth that produces radiator shrouds that are correct for that bike. Um, There are people doing it, but they're absolutely nowhere near where they need to be from a quality and a visual point of view. Um, 86YZ250 is another perfect example. Those red radiator shrouds, you can't get them. If you want, you can get badly vacuum-formed reproduction ones that are more maroon than they are that vivid red that they were meant to be. So you've got to try and find parts, plastic parts, that were A, disposable in the 80s, Be no one really, or not a lot of people had the foresight to go, hey, you know what, these things, we're going to be restoring these in 40 years' time. Let's just hoard parts. Um, You rely a lot on guys who have acquired dealerships that have got lots of new old stock sitting in back corners and buckets and cupboards and parts bins that have been forgotten about for all time. You've got to be prepared to pay because this stuff isn't cheap, right? When you start getting into finding those parts that A aren't reproduced and B are no longer available. Mostly, most of the guys that have them know that. Um, so you're definitely going to be paying collectors prices for those particular products. Um, for argument's sake, like I said, my dad stuck in the 80s and we're doing here up here an 86YZ250 for him, which he had brand new in 86 and 87 radiators we managed to i don't know how we managed to get a, a set of new old stock radiators for that i mean we could have put aftermarket ones on them and ceracoated them black and it probably would have sufficed but there's there's something about having certain items that you really want to push and have as actual you know original items for those motorcycles from a fitment and a visual point of view and we'll touch on where you can really really want to focus on new old stock and where you can start looking into the aftermarket realm. Cause there is definitely an aftermarket realm for, for these eighties bikes and nineties and early 2000s stuff. But yeah, I mean the eighties, wow. It's just so expensive to do those bikes. It's super rewarding when you actually get them, you sort of stand back. Like when we finished this 500, we're like, wow, you know, I don't know a lot of some of you may have seen the before and after photos of it. I can pop them up um, here and it, it wasn't pretty when we got it. And not a lot of these bikes are, you know, these, like I said, these bikes are 40 year old, you know, these bikes are they're disposable items in a competition space. They're good for 12 months. Um, and yeah, we love them dearly. And for the average consumer, they last a lot longer than that, but they're not built to, uh, you know, they're, they're, a, they live and work in a harsh environment they generally get treated pretty poorly. So we get them at, at their worst. Um, You know, and that's the thing we always say to a lot of people. If it's got a straight, or not even straight, if it's got a frame and a half-decent set of cases, you can do anything. You can restore a motorcycle to anyone that gets a bike that goes, oh, it's too far gone, I've got to wreck it, just doesn't have the love for it or the motivation to do it. Um, You definitely have to want to do it because, you know, when they start getting into such a state of disrepair as what we do see a lot of work you know when you take every nut and bolt apart and you take you know you're trying to replicate a lot of like I said a lot of these finishes it, it takes it out of you but it's a passion thing you've got to really want to do it so yeah the 80s they're super complicated um super cool right because you're right in the thick of development like I said you know we said the 60s and the 70s yeah you start seeing the development you can start to see that pot come to boil but the 80s, it's it's on fire. You know, manufacturers are throwing dollars at it. The, you know, the works teams, all that stuff, you know, there was just a big hype around it. And it's, I don't think we will ever see that push in development again. I mean, you look at electric bikes now, they haven't developed anything, right? Well, they, they have, sorry. They've developed a new power delivery system to an already existing chassis. The chassis in its template is there to work with and you adjust it and you modify it to carry a different power delivery system and you adjust it to have you know obviously i'm not taking away from it there's there's a fair bit of work in the engineering side of it and getting it feeling right from a writing point of view because you know a lot more torque all that sort of stuff we're going to get into that but when you're trying to create the template that was the 80s the 80s was them creating motocross bikes as we see it now and and that's the specialist most Special thing about our sport is from a restoration point of view and from a retro point of view is the 80s. You know, the bike development was to the 80s what motocross gear and VHS was to the 90s. That's my opinion. You know, you look at it and you go, oh wow, these guys were really pushing the envelope, good and bad. You know, like this uni track rear end, it just locks up it finds a mechanical binding point and just the whole rear end just locks up. Great, that worked well. But they tried it and they worked with it to a point and then they obviously realized it didn't work. You know, you got drum brake to disc brake, so you've got a whole nother avenue, you know, and then you start looking as we start getting into the very late 80s suspension development, you know, holy hell, upside down forks. They made them upside down and they the works team had you know, Yami 86, the, the YZ, the Yamaha works team, they, they had an upside-down fork. And then some guys didn't like it, some guys did like it, you know, mixed opinions. And now every single motorcycle competition motorcycle comes with upside-down forks. It just became the norm. So, yeah, the 80s was super cool. Um, and sort of getting into the 90s, you know, the early 90s had that taste of the 80s, but you could see that they were refining those bikes they they had found a point in which they could start to really develop ideas not so much develop new ideas but take the ideas they had come to and start building on them and the 90s from a restoration point of view you know i'm going to say the hondas are always the easiest always the easiest to restore in my opinion anyway because parts are a lot easier to come by it's a bigger following for them. A lot of guys have reproduced more aftermarket parts, OEM replica parts, um cowie stuff, a little bit more difficult because they were they had cool colours, you know, they had cowie colours, they had cowie designs, um, those blue forks, all that sort of stuff, which you can restore to a degree. Um, like I said, a restoration is never a new bike um so yeah the the 90s was super cool and and you can really see i guess it's the it's the it's it's the it's really cementing what like i said what we see bikes are now you know you start that good suspension travel you know um the plastic shape and design the the stance the presence the handling all that stuff was really starting to to, to come into a more solidified option um in in the the early 90s and then you know obviously you you hook into the the absolute love affair and the absolute dream which is the mid-90s for a lot of us um hondas mid-90s hondas wow they just i think like 95 96 hondas are some of the best looking motorcycles that in my opinion, that that this this whole mad this whole sport has given us, you know, you've got nuclear reds, Uranus purples, you've got those flow yellows, you've got stuff coming at you, you know. Bike design, sorry, modern guys, and it probably you know it doesn't affect anyone, but modern guys can't design motorcycles. Modern guys can't come up, you know. Modern manufacturers, sorry, can't design motorcycles. They don't no they either they've given up on a design thing or they're too scared scared to go outside of the norm. Um, look at the 93 yZs they were out of control they looked sensational they had all those purples and oranges and blues and I know Yamaha have just redone them. they look pretty good I mean it's a mixed bag of an opinion but you know to see them new was just crazy you know you're like they they stood out at you outside of all of the other road bikes and everything else that you used to see at the dealership those bikes used to just they would leap forward at you you know as a kid you you see that 96 shroud and it's it's different to anything else in a dealership road off-road all that sort of stuff and what you have xrs you know cvs all that sort of stuff i mean they didn't have that same sort of at you as what those competition motocross bikes had and you know you could just you used to you see them at that that level you know that presence that they had you know i look at the profiles of the tires the knobbies all that stuff all these visual cues that 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 those motorcycles give you all the way up until you know i I want to say probably about the very early 2000s you know 2006 7 8 and that was probably for me anyway that was probably about it you know i remember you know as a kid going with dad you know you would go and you would you know we didn't have big money to to be buying bikes all the time we would go and and look at the you know every couple of months you know as a kid dad you would go down to the dealership we would collect sales brochures kids aren't you know kids don't have that option anymore because they don't have sales brochures and that was the coolest thing, and we've still all we've still got them. You know, Dad's got his from the early 80s and we've got them all the way up until about 2007. You used to go to the Honda dealerships, Cowie dealerships, Yamaha dealerships, you'd have a look at the new bikes, you know, you'd get a couple of sales brochures. And that was some of the most special times of my childhood was was seeing those bikes and that interaction, you know, and and dreaming and and wanting them. You know, I always wanted a a YZ80, but it's one of those things, you know. You just they they built a visual impact on people that you know can't be replicate. You know, they, they they just won't replicate that today. Um, and I just I don't think it, it will happen, you know. And a lot of you know, like Marshall and Gosel, they they'll always laugh at me saying, "Oh, you know, you're always stuck in the past." And the reason I am is because of what that gave me that feeling. You know, I like when you look at the you know race bikes of the '90s. You know like the PC bikes and and all that stuff, you know, they looked so good and they had such a massive impact on us as kids that we build replicas because we wanna get as close to those race bikes as we could Um, and doing, you know, different stuff. And and the modern take on bikes is is super cool, but, you know, like that's why we we gravitate to a lot of that sort of stuff. And, you know, from a restoration point of view, the nineties is, it's getting a little harder but we we definitely see ninety six YZs are complicated because of that blue. Um, no one really does those plastics for it unless you order lots of them. Um, the 90s CRs are probably the easiest bikes to restore. Now, guys are gonna some guys will jump up and down saying they're not because you know OEM versus aftermarket. I'll get into that later, but just calm down. Um, the Cowie's probably not so bad either. Um, the Zooks, those forks and that front end from sort of 96, you know, they, they, that had its own. They were the last guys to really be pushing the, the, not pushing, but trying different stuff, which was probably pretty cool. You know, we had a couple of posts on our Instagram page of a 96RM we've got in at the moment. It's got that upside, uh, sorry, that conventional front end in it. And it's kind of cool. You look at it and you're like, wow, this is. You know they were still trying different things, and everyone had, had obviously figured out that you know good or bad, they had already set the the mold. At the fact that bikes were going to have upside down forks in them, but Suzuki wanted being Suzuki wanted to have that last sort of you know last say. Um. So yeah, from a not, the nineties are pretty good to restore. You know, you like I said, you get a lot of aftermarket parts, a lot of guys who grew up in that generation are savvy enough to be capable enough on computers 3d scanners and manufacturing processes to go cool let's let's start remanufacturing white air boxes you know for the crs which is a guy locally in victoria that does that and he does an amazing job of it you know he put a lot of time and money into it but that's now a product that is super critical to the overall visual look of that motorcycle and we can now buy them, which is great. I'm a big believer in that. Same with radiator louvers for 95, 6 CR 250s, local guy here in Victoria in Australia, put his time and money into it and he was able to reproduce them properly, not like a 3D print, which you get the wrong texture out of, but an actual injection molded finish, which is, there's not enough praise can be given to those guys for going out on a limb and actually doing that and providing that to the rest of us. Um, I'll put a link in, in, in the YouTube description for this for, for a couple of those guys that are doing that stuff. If you are looking for those parts, cause they are pretty hard to find. Um, we did a 96 and, and a couple of years, two, two years ago now, three years ago, and we were lucky enough to get new old stock radiator louvers, but to do one now it, it's not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. Um, And then you start looking into the noughties. Noughties were pretty cool. So we had, what do we have? We had freestyle motocross was happening. There's a lot of black plastics. A lot of guys did a lot of black bikes back then, a lot of black CRs, which was cool then, kind of cool now. But, you know, I mean, from a restoration point of view, well, it depends if you're doing replicas, you know, we don't, it's interesting, we don't get a lot of guys doing old militia bike replicas or freestyle bike replicas. And they were pretty iconic. You know, they defined a generation whether you're into freestyle or not. Those bikes were pretty cool. Um, you know, I remember Carrie looking at Carrie Hart's 2000 CR250 backflip bike and I often think to myself, yeah, that was actually a cool looking bike. It'd be cool to, to have something similar to that on the wall or, you know, just in the shed. Um, but yeah, so those, the early 2000s, late noughties, late 90s, early 2000s bikes are probably easier. Oh, yeah, probably one of the easier ones as well. Kind of like Hondas of the nineties. Um, you you have you have this. There's still a, a good availability on parts. Um, there's a lot of cross pol- Honda, especially, are really good with cross pollination of of their components. So you know you might get bikes that you need for a CR that'll be on. I don't know, an XR, road bike, all that sort of stuff. Little washers and bits and pieces, weird stuff, spaces, all that sort of stuff that, that you look for. So there's still a good hoard of parts and you're still seeing guys selling new old stock plastics every now and again. Um, you know, a lot of that sort of stuff is still available. So the early noughties were probably not too, uh, probably not too bad to, to restore when you get, get into it. Um, aluminium frames, they're, you know, they're, they're actually more complicated than the Steelies. Because like I said to you at the beginning of this podcast, if you're looking at restoration, uh, restoration is nothing more than a compromise. That's the only way to look at it. So if you're going to hydroblast a aluminium frame CR, you're never going to get an OEM finish. You'll get something that resembles it, but you'll never get it and guys say well you use you know sandblasting or dirty glass beads cuz it gives a duller finish no it 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 just we've tried it and it doesn't really work you're better off going a hydroblasted finish um in our opinion and just trying to work some of the aluminum extrusion lines back into the spars and things um the spars the two big vibration enhancers that live up the side of early CRs um, so, yeah, same with swing arms, you know, they, they all had a coating on them. Original coatings are actually pretty boring. Look, you look at, you know, OEM heads and barrels and stuff, and they were... If you look at an OEM CR barrel, it was... It's obviously a, a sandcast unit, and it's got this weird grey primer all over it. There were scratches and stuff. Like, if you, like, oh, we've got one in the shed. It, it looks sick, because it's original, but it's not pretty by no means. Um, you've got all you know the stamping marks on it, which is super cool and stuff that you, you really look for. So yeah, there's, there's different ways and, and means that different generations of bikes that are, are more complicated than others and better and worse, but they're all pretty cool in the same right. So that's sort of a bit of an overlook on, on the generations of bikes and how complicated they are, what goes into them, and what you can sort of, you know, find and and come across. So now we'll sort of dive into into restorations as a whole. We'll have a look at a, like I said, we're going to do this over a few series, a few episodes. So we're just going to have a bit of a a look, an overview of of restorations and what we find on all of them today. But we're not going to go into any one particular subject. Um, Restorations. You see a lot of guys selling bikes that have had complete restoration ground up restorations is generally what the first line of the sales pitch is on facebook marketplace if you haven't split the cases if you haven't pulled the carburetor if you haven't re-zinked or purchased every single new bolt every single washer it's not a complete restoration sorry guys doesn't work that way that is a complete restoration if you put plastics on it, some rims, some billet hubs, a couple of new tires and some bad aftermarket graphics you haven't restored it not even close to restoring it A restoration is a huge task you know the way we approach it we get bikes in in like I said in any state in any um, you know comp- level of, of togetherness, we we immediately we assess but we generally you generally know you you start pulling apart the first thing we do is you know you as you're doing a frame if you don't take your frame to some sort of frame repairing place to get it checked for true straight holes dents, because you these things went through hell especially in the 90s my god yeah, Krusty Demons did a lot of good and they also did a lot of bad for for mistreatment of, of motorcycles. So, you pull the bike apart, you get everything out, you, buck, you put it in, in nice sealable tubs, you isolate what appears to be hard to find components, um, and then you, you get to the frame. You leave the engine together. We generally pop the swing arms out of them as a token thing, because we get our frames. Our frame guy is probably one of the best in the country here in Australia. Um, I'm, I, I don't care what anyone says. We've had him check other work that have come from alleged gurus, and he has faulted it quite well um, and repaired it quite humbly. So that's what we always look for. So we, we, and he wants all those frames we give to him. He wants them sandblasted before he gets them. Because that's the only way you're going to really see what is, is, what is going on under there. Because there is that, yeah, lower rails on a steel frame anything are generally stuffed. You know, if she says it's got good rails, I wouldn't trust anyone who says it's got good rails when they haven't replaced them. And the frame is your whole foundation for the bike, right? It is your whole platform, the starting point, the most important part of your restoration. And for what you're going to invest in that motorcycle long term, it's a a small price to pay. Do you know what I mean? It really is to just get it in a jig, make sure it's straight, make sure it lines up as it should. And then, then start from there. You know, you might find it gets sandblasted. The rails might be perfect. It might be fine, and you may have been the one in a thousand million people that got one that was still within service. And then you either get it painted or powder coated, and off you go. But what we've found with most everyone we've done, the the rails might look great until you tap them really. Just you don't have to hit them. Just tap them with a a ball, yeah, the round end of a ball-peen hammer. And it'll start to get paper thin pretty quickly. You'll start to see the dents start to form. And you can't just start welding up holes because what are you welding to? You're welding to rust, it's just gonna blow away. You, Unfortunately, you have to have the cradles generally replaced, which is for someone who knows what they're doing, not a, a massively complicated job, you know? So that's what we say to a lot of people, you know, have a look inspect your frame, get it to someone who knows. And they're gonna want, if they're any decent at what they do, if they say they've got a jig and they don't need the engine, move on. They're gonna want the subframe, uh, the subframe, yes, swing arm, yes, and the engine, yes. And all of those components work together. And sometimes rear guard, you know, an air box just to sort of see visually where it's gonna land. Those components all work together in order to They to get that frame straight, if that frame's bent, none of those components are gonna work how they should. And that's what we say to people, you know, our guy, we sand, get the the product, the, the frame sandblasted, leave the engine together, leave the swing arm together, thumb it all back together with nuts and bolts and hand it to him and then he does his magic from there. So that's a huge key part that what a lot of people sort of overlook and you have to really delve into that. We'll go into more detail on each of these sort of topics in the, in the next coming weeks in each episode, but that's a big one, right? That's a real big one. Um, that's, it's the biggest issue and the most overlooked, I would believe when people are doing restorations, um, you just can't, can't go past it. Um, While that's away, while your frame's away, you can generally got time to start hooking into some of the smaller sub-assemblies, like you can send out your triple clamps, all that sort of stuff for either Cerakote, powder coat, sorry, not powder coat, you don't powder coat, triple clamps, way too thick. If you're looking at a restoration, you Cerakote them or Hydroblast them, you start getting your suspension restored, your forks, all that sort of stuff. You've got time while the frame's away to start looking at those smaller assemblies. And that's what we do. So we will sort of pick a shock, for instance. And when we're doing any restoration, like I said earlier, you're looking to try and get it as close to original as possible. Always a compromise, but that's what you're trying to do. So we will start looking at spring colors, reference photos for that if we can find any. What color zinc were the shock perches? Um, What was the shock body? Where were the shock body warning labels? Are they still available? Does anyone reprint them if not? Because you'll often find Marty Steger, he's a really good one here in Australia. He has spent a lot of time and effort restoring warning labels and stuff for 80s, 90s bikes. So he's a really good, valuable source uh, when it comes to that sort of stuff. So you sort of start looking at at that. Um, Suspension, rear. the shock is probably easier out of the two from a restoration point of view. Um, A lot of people are scared of them because they're under pressure, but generally by the time you get them, they're not under pressure, just check anyway. Um, So yeah, that's what we start doing, and then we look at the forks, and the forks are a hard one because, and we've probably all seen it, or a lot of us have seen it, it's the corrosion. Forks get abused, they're at the very front of the victim zone when you're riding a dirt bike. Rocks, dust, sandblasting, all that sort of stuff they perish, they wear, and you can't get them anymore. There's not a, or not very few, you, there's not a reserve supply of upper tubes. So we take this on a case-by-case basis. We have a really good anodizing company that we work with who can hit some of the colors pretty well. If you've got very minimal pitting or very minimal um, you know, marks or anything like that, I will generally leave them because if you look at your upper tubes, especially on an upside down fork, you will find knurling. You run your finger up and you can hear the sound of it. It's the machined finish process that all fork, upper fork tubes have. Now, in order to get small gouges and small debris marks out of your upper fork tubes, you've got to remove all that. So you got to put in a lathe and sand it back until you get a semi-smooth surface. We're always super, super cautious about this as well because if they're too deep, you've got to remember, if you're removing a dent or a gouge out of a fork tube, you've got to remove that depth over its entire surface. So the, the thickness, the strength, the structural integrity of such a vital component becomes less and less. So you've really got to be careful. And that's why I don't like taking a lot of that material out of those fork tubes you you try and orientate them in the bike so they're visually you know not as obvious but you know you try your best to restore them but that's one of those finishes and one of those things that we've sort of been talking about you can only ever replicate to a degree what the manufacturer has done you can never 100% replicate it and those fork tubes are a massive one if anyone's got any good references or good workflows for getting the knurling back and accurately i would love to hear from you if you can let us know international domestic whatever it is i would love to know if we can work on a workflow or if someone's got a process for doing that um that would be super cool but yeah the forks are are easy from an internal point of view the hardest from an uh, external point of view Chrome plating at the bottom of your forks are uh damage is not an issue. There's a good good company in Queensland that we deal with that that does that. Fork lugs, depends what they were. If they were black from factory, we recommend Cerakote. If they were, you know, silver or, or a cast aluminium, then just hydroblast them. It generally gives you a really good result. With the older fork lugs, however, don't if you can avoid removing them from the tube. I know this is a hard one, because that aluminium will gall up and it generally friction welds itself off and they're stuffed. Once that happens, it's over. And if you use too much heat, you melt the threads. It's it's a it's a real gamble. So if you're Cerakote you can Cerakote them with the tubes in them. You've just got to be very good with thick masking or electrical tape as a masking unit. Then you've got to unmask it once you've sandblasted it and then use proper heatproof tape to mask the entire tube up and then obviously cleanliness after the fact. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's that sort of suspension side But while your frame's away. Um, you can't really get into the swing arm or the engine at the moment because like I said, your frame guy, if he's good, will have those two units. Then you start looking at wheels. Now, OEM rims, if you're going on an OEM build, we'll go get into OEM versus aftermarket. There's different sort of restorations that are around and I've got a couple of really cool friends that we speak to who do nothing but OEM restorations for CR500. Those guys are hardcore and super admirable what they do. I don't have the financial backing or the the patience for something like that personally, Um, but you see the result and it's just stunning those guys are probably the only ones getting restorations as close as they can to, to, to OEM because they're essentially buying new old stock parts. So it becomes, you know, guys have a debate, but I'm, I don't take anything away from that. You know, is, is it a restoration or are you just collecting parts and building a new bike? If you've managed to collect those parts, that's harder than a restoration, I believe, because um, you've got to have the contacts, the time and the money to do it. An OEM restoration has got to be north of 30,000 Australian dollars for sure. Easily. Absolutely. You can't, it's huge money and you've got to want to love to do that. You've got to commit. Once you commit, you can't generally go back either. It sort of sets you on a path that is very, very difficult to deviate from. But we'll get into that at another stage. Um, Wheels, rims. So we recommend just using XL, like depending on where you're at, like we've, Managed to get XL rims for an 83 uh, Sans fighter. There are, if you get into the 60s, like I said, there's more specialized guys that do do rims um, in, you know, reproduce replica rims and stuff like that, which is cool. The Mako, the 60s maker that we did, the rims are actually in really good shape. So we managed to get them repolished back to an original ish finish and laced back up to the, the hubs. JTR um, do some really good, they'll hand make you spokes from a lot of generations, so spokes are probably the easiest thing to get from a wheel point of view. Now hubs, depending where you're at, so if you've got a, you always want to look at the bearing, because obviously wheel bearings do flog out, they'll flog out the openings, the holes where they live, because they're meant to be an interference fit. So you can get them machined if there's enough material in there, have a sleeve put in and then have the bearing you know refitted, which is an, an option. I try not to throw parts away or give up on parts until I can completely, there's nothing to work with. Um, and my mentality on that is if you throw a part out or give up on a part, that's one less part that someone who desperately might need one might need. So it's a comp- you've got to really think about, I like to think about the restoration community as a whole um, and who can benefit from, you know, I, I don't know. We're not green piece of restorations, but we do like to try and be fairly conservative before we throw something out and try and go, yep, yeah, this is 100% stuffed and we can't use it. So that way, and then, you know, you're either hydroblasting them or if they're a black hub, coating them. Um, then, yeah, lacing up. XLs are really good. There's other brands of rims out there that you can use. So that's always a, a pretty cool thing. You know, we've got some hardcore dudes that look for new old stock tires as well, and that's, that's cool. When you see that sort of stuff, you're like, yeah, wow, that's, those guys are committed to that. Um, by this stage, if your frame guys got it under control and your frame's back, you've got two options here. You've got your diehard powder coating is shit guys has to be painted I would say it wouldn't be 2 pack either, it's going to be acrylic Um, you can find different colour codes around we, the Mako one from the 60s and we're talking about, you know, limited information we didn't have paint colour codes for the tank or the frame, we've got a really good guy who paints our frames when that's required Um, and he We sanded, or sorry, I didn't. He did the work, he sanded back the tank very carefully until he found an original color coat. And then he sanded the rest of the tank back to find a big enough patch of original color coat that he could, he's a master painter, so he knows what he's doing. He was able to cut and polish that tank section back enough and get it back enough to a, a usable, A usable um, finish that we could color sample off it and then have it mixed and then painted now a lot of you guys are going to say but that it's not going to be accurate like I said at the very beginning of the podcast it's always a compromise you're going to need to do this nothing's ever going to be a hundred percent what it was on that day now if you're powder coating frames like a lot of the white Honda frames powder coat to me is Option A, if you're riding it, um, and if you're not riding it and you want to do a more OEM look, like I said, you're never going to get OEM anyway. Um, so for the cost of seven, eight hundred dollars to paint the frame, you can get it powder coated and have a very good result, a, a almost identical result. Um, if you guys doing it for any less than that, question the quality, that what goes into it, because the 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 it might look not look like a lot, but to paint a frame properly is is a huge task. Um, so yeah, like paint versus powder coat, a complicated subject. It's all everyone's going to have their opinion. I'm going to have guys. I can hear them. Oh, you can't do that. You can't powder coat. That's not original. It cracks. It flakes. Let's air in moisture. All this sort of stuff. Yeah, sick. Um, we don't have that issue. Our riding vintage bikes don't have that issue. If you're going to ride it, powder coat's great. If you can do this, the amount of hours on a powder coated frame that you would find the frame failing due to the powder coat, you're doing more hours on that bike than a pro racer. So, good on you if that's the case. And yeah, go for it. Um, powder coat has a far better deflection surface and a, and a and a uh, elasticity to it, so it stays it takes rock impacts better than what two pack does because two pack has a as a harder finish or it's a harder material so it's more likely to chip than than dent. Um so yeah, so you get your frame back, you've you've picked your color, you've you've gone to an OEM, let's just keep it simple OEM. engine. Now, the easiest way to okay, first of all, if you're just going to vapor blast the engine or get it vapor blasted without pulling it apart you've failed already sorry but pull it apart if you're restoring this bike and you're going this far split the cases least check them get new bearings in there all that sort of stuff you can go to OEM if available or aftermarket if you go to some of your bearing wholesalers you'll probably find what would have been the OEM bearings there NG, um, NGK's NSK's all that sort of Japanese bearings are all going to be good quality bearings Sometimes you do get manufacturers using weirdo bearings, a mil difference from a standard size, whatever. Then you have to start hunting. Get your engine done. Check your cases, all that sort of stuff. Repair it if need be. Find someone who can. Then you're either going to be, generally you're going to be either Cerakoting the whole thing black, half the thing black, or vapor blasting all of it. Um, That's as a rule of thumb what you'll find, unless you're into that, Sort of '70s Honda where they were red-engined, or the the Susies where they were blue. Then you're going to be looking at different avenues. Probably you know, painting, like a uh, an actual, you know, automotive paint. Um, for that, will probably be your best finish because that's what it would have been. I would assume back then, like an acrylic or something like that. But even lead-based, even better. Um, so yeah, that's you know, engine. Check your cylinders. Get all that sort of stuff done. Nine times out of ten for those early two-strokes, it's great to have a Nicosil bore. If you've still got a Nicosil in your barrels, like the late, sort of mid-90s stuff, the early 90s stuff, if it's still there, get it re-Nicosil. Even if you hear all the stories that, oh, Nicosil delaminates, all that sort of stuff, you're better off having it as a Nicosil barrel than you are punching it out and putting a shit steel barrel uh, sleeve in there leave it original, thermodynamic, all that sort of stuff, if you're gonna write, they're just better, all right? It's more refined, it's what it should be. Most times, like if you've got a CR125, if you've got an original barrel, you're, you're a lucky man. Let me know, because I need one. But, you know, you just try and do all your all your bits and pieces. You've got a good engine service guy, or someone who knows what they're doing, they can generally pull this off for you. Engines are a little bit of a daunting thing, they can get a little scary. For no reason, you know, they're not that complicated when you start getting into the bottom end of them. Um, It's just good practices, but if you do want to, send it out. Same with swing arms. Wow, swing arms. They suck. Sorry. Swing arm restorations suck. They take a lot of time. It's a lot of sanding and grinding and polishing and welding and sanding and grinding and polishing but it is hugely beneficial to the overall aesthetic of, of, the restoration. You know, like it's, it's such a big key visual point of that bike, whether it be an eighties bike, whether it be a nineties bike, a sixties bike, seventies bike, it's so big and it, it's, it's so needed. So if you don't want to do it yourself, you can't be bothered. There are mugs like myself who will do it for you. Um, and once again, you just give it to whoever's doing it and go on with something else because it's a hugely laborious task. And sometimes the guys doing it sort of put it off, but, you know, we get through them and they are a massive key piece to it. Now, brakes. Disc brakes, you're either going to be painting them black, serocoding them black, or hydroblasting them. Pistons are somewhat available, always just... Check, you know, you're going to be looking at then zinc colors. And this is where we start getting into that, you know, restoration point of view and, okay, reference material. CMSNL, I actually got got that out. That was pretty cl- I'm happy with that. CMSNL, they have a huge photo library of parts in their individual state, um, which is invaluable for like, is it gold zinc? Is it blue zinc? Was it cad- cadmium plated, which is illegal now? you know was it black was it olive was it you know all that sort of stuff so you can generally go through and go okay cool I got a brake caliper honda like i said easy they were a really piss gold um zinc plate color i'm gathering it's a time thing dip it in the pacifite and move it on so the honda stuff is always very pale gold very pale almost silver so you start looking at that, your, your sliders, your pins, all that sort of stuff, all those components that you start getting into contrasts. So once it looks great when you've hydroblasted everything, but once you add zinc to hydroblasting, the contrast of finishes just you start to get excited because you see it and you're like, oh wow, you know, this is this is starting to. know come together you know you can see the different finishes you can see all that sort of stuff so super important to sort of look into that side of it your brake discs I think that MTX do a vintage range which is a Motomaster do a vintage range sorry motor master do a vintage range MTX do as well really like OEM car original patterns for most of that sort of stuff Um, so that's your best option unless you're looking for genuine stuff Um, I would go OEM then you're gonna start looking at all your pedals, your levers, foot pegs, all that sort of stuff. If you frame guys of any merit, he's fixed your foot foot peg mount so they're not you know, pointing down and backwards. They're nice and tight. Um, your brake pedals, generally have a zinc tip on them. Hot tip, if you're doing your own zinc plating, which we do, we don't do it for people, we do it for our restorations. Zinc has a real hard time sticking to aluminium but it's a conductor. So if you put just the tip into the zinc plating bath and let it go, you can zinc plate the tip, which is generally riveted to the lever, and then you can just either hydroblast or wire wheel the zinc and it'll flake off and leave you with an OEM style finish. Best way of doing it. Exhausts. Now, Exhausts, that's a... It's a... Paul, down at Prime Pipe Works. he's our man in Australia for pipe restorations. He can make magic happen. Pipes are a really hard one because finishes are very matte dull. Um, finding original pipes, they can be too far gone sometimes. Paul's pretty good at remaking sections and welding them in. But, you know, a pipe is a big thing. They may have looked, and that was a crazy thing, you know, back in the day, you buy a CR or a YZ or an RM, the first thing you wanted to do was throw that horrific black stock pipe in the bin and get a PC pipe or an FMF or whatever else it was. Now, us restorers, as we've gotten older, those pipes now are invaluable to find, you know? So we do look for that that sort of stuff, and you can generally, if you're lucky, you can find them. And if you're lucky, lucky, you won't pay a fortune for them. But exhausts are a big one. Plastics, we have touched on plastics a little bit with, um, we a little bit with the '80s, super hard with the '80s. My godfather so hard because you just can't get decent, rep. it's really hard to get decent reproduction, injection molded plastic. Um, white tanks are another thorn in our side. We're working on a process. Now some guys have got it. We're, we're doing a trial process on whitening tanks because that's a big one. Look, everyone hates it. If no one wants to use a Clark tank. Because they've got those casting. You now, Clark tanks, if you ever hear this, can I just ask why? If you can give me a reason why you have the casting tooling marks, some of your tanks, I'd love to know, just out of curiosity. We use them when we're, because it's, especially on a Honda, if you have, like, you restore this bike, it's immaculate, everything is done. If you don't have, if you put the original tank on because it's original and it's, nicotine yellow just get away from the original give it a rest get a clark tank put it on get into your photo studio get your photos taken do whatever you got to do if you're going to ride it then put it. There's nothing wrong with the clark tank it is too big of a key visual point to let that go it just you know you and you put stickers over them they just don't look the same it's one of those things, it's a personal thing of mine, you just, just suck it up and deal with it. It's all I can say. Seat foams are getting better and bases are getting better. There's a lot of companies out there making um, reproduction seat foams and bases, which is really good. SP Moto seats can make foams or fix foams as well. So they're here in Victoria, hit us up if you have a seat cover that, you know, or a seat that is in disarray. They'll also reproduce seat covers to a really good OEM spec. Then, graphics. Now, Marshall at Vision, he's doing a lot of the custom stuff at the moment. Um, We will be looking at, hopefully he'll be looking at getting into OEM thin-cut in the future. Ringmaster, Craig, has been around forever in the industry and he knows what's up. It has a really good back catalogue of original thin-cut graphics for those restorations, so he's probably a man to speak to about that sort of stuff. Um, like I said, plastics, 90cr is super easy to find, unless it's a nuclear red discard, but... If you order, trust me, if you order enough, you ring UFO and order enough, you'll get them. Um, so yeah, like there's the restoration game it's this is sort of a brief overview on what's involved and, and what processes there are i mean you look at it from a whole point of view we can break down enduro bikes xrs four strokes um two strokes 60s 70s 80s and we'll go through a lot of the different stuff we'll go through a lot of different processes um have a chat to you guys about what what is involved but it's it's a cool thing and and don't just half ask it. Really, if you've got questions, flick us a message on Instagram. We will get back to you. We'll respond because it's such a cool thing. And we want to try and help you guys build the best restorations you can and get that feeling that we do when they're done. You know, we had a a 94 C125 feature in Dirt Action um, March this year. And when you see them, what well, we do photo shoots or studio shoots of all of our finished bikes because it's a really good finishing point on the project. And it's cool, you know, like there was, every bike we do, we, we, we've we never done a perfect restoration and no one has. Like I said, the only guys that get close to some of these guys that do the OEM stuff. Um, but even then, they're probably having to refinish parts as well. So there's, and, and we like, you know, as we will never be happy with one of our restorations because there's always something we can strive to do better um, and a finish we can get closer. And that's what it is. We're all just, we're just refinishers. We're literally looking to refinish that next part just a little bit closer to OEM than what we did the previous. And and that's the biggest thing with restorations. You're not, you're always chasing that perfect result. It's, it's frustrating as it is rewarding because you're never going to get there. I'm sorry, unless you want to put in Manufacturing facilities like Honda or Yamaha or Suzuki, you might get there, cool, but it's just not going to happen. You're going to get close and you're going to get a pretty damn good result. So if you've got questions like, hey, how do you do this or what do you reckon here and there, you might not like the answer that we give you, but trust me, coming from restoring cars to restoring bikes, it's a lot easier. And it's a lot more digestible and, and it's a cool thing to do. And when you see them come together, it's, it's so rewarding. Whether you ride them or not, and I don't care if you do or not, you know, people will say they have to be ridden, you know, it's no one's right to tell you what you have to do with your motorcycle. If you want to restore it to absolute concourse, pristine condition using new old stock parts and then go do sand motors on it, go for it. That's up to you. I don't recommend it, but go for it. So yeah, so that's that's sort of where we're at. And I think we're going to start bringing, you know, a couple of little of these episodes through. We're going to start breaking it down into into more key components and what we do. Um, but this was just a cool little overview for for restorations and what goes on and, and what's available. Like, you know, we'll go into parts, manufacturers after market parts, processes, all that sort of stuff. So thanks for hanging out, guys. It's been a cool little hour or whatever it's been. Um, if you are looking for parts, head over to our website, garage11.com. We're building a, a fairly large um, inventory of, of parts for a lot of different brands, new and old. Um, head over there. Check out our Instagram stuff if you want to have a look at what we've got going on in the workshop currently, stuff that's happening. Um, Vision concepts, head over to there. To have a look at the graphic side of things and what Marshall's got going on. Um, some cool, exciting stuff happening there at the moment. There's a lot of stuff going on at the moment with all the, the different businesses. Um, some exciting things, which is super cool. I think racing's back. We had Loretta's this weekend, um, but it's been a bit of a two-week break. So I think, uh, I think next week we'll be back on board with the, the 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 other two um, Marshall and Gozo so we'll be able to sort of dissect now that racing breaks over but we'll keep doing these little resto things because it's a big part of it and it's 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 definitely my wheelhouse when it comes to um, this sort of side of it so it's cool to sort of delve into and we'll I think we get into '90s restoration '90s race bike restorations which is my ultra passion if we're talking expensive that's that's expensive um, yeah that's really expensive but cool if you want to talk about history talk about finding a new old stock tank for your cr500 try and find ricky carmichael's old shock you know what i mean things like that like we we really start to parts start to take on their own personality outside and their own history outside of the motorcycle each part of brake caliper has a whole story behind it and a huge different way of looking at things so that'd be a super cool thing that we'll start diving into as well so thanks for hanging out guys my name's kane you have heard our podcast hopefully before if not check check them out um, on our channel check out the youtube channel head over to the gram have a look at the website um but yeah thanks for hanging out guys and hope you enjoyed it like i said we'll hook into some more restoration stuff in the next coming week thank you very much see you later